You're listening to the Irish Times. So I was in Wexford yesterday, Pat, at maybe the worst hurling, or certainly the worst half of hurling that was ever hurled in my presence ever. It was shocking stuff, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Tipperary played Wexford in, in the National Hurling League. Uh, your team, Pat Nugent, of course. Yes, very, oh, your heroes. Man here, yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, and I am Malachi Clerkin, and this is the Out of Time podcast. And in my day job, I was down at this poxy hurling match yesterday uh, for, well, for a half. The second half, got, it got kind of interesting um, and finished in a, in a riot of colour with uh, Wexford. Wexford literally taking the lead in the 73rd and a half minute, which is the only time they led all day, having gone behind to a Seamus Callanan goal after about... 40 seconds. They timed their run perfectly. They timed their run perfectly. But uh, yeah, so I'm here to tell you, Pat, that this hurling crack is over it. Hurling is broken, isn't it? It is broken. It is. I just think there were a few games over the weekend and we're going to have Sean Moore on in a while. Uh, There was a few games on, on over the weekend that just reminded me that this hurling league of no consequence where there is no relegation, um, it is the more, the most Asher tis only the league League, yeah, in a long time. Liam Sheedy, like Tipperary, again with my biased hat on. Tipperary could have had legitimate grievances with the referee in the match yesterday, mm-hmm. but Liam Sheedy after the match was just like, "Ah, eh, it's fine." It was very funny. Uh, I was watching. I because he was he was going mad on the sideline. Probably overdoes it a bit, but he was he was definitely cranky on the sideline. And at the end, I watched him to see would he go to the ref, and he went straight to the referee to uh, column lines, the Cork referee, and. Whatever it was about his bearing, Tommy Dunn, his his selector, kind of caught it out the corner of his eye and actually sprinted over to kind of get in between him and the and the referee. And, you know, as in, you know, something's going to kick off here. Liam, Liam's going to get himself in a bit of trouble. But actually, Sheedy kind of waved him away and went over and just shook Column Lines' hand and was talking to us afterwards and kind of went... Ah, you know these things. These things happen. I know how hard it is to referee a hurling game, and you were walking away from it, going, mm. "If that was in May, Liam Sheedy would not be biting his tongue here." And he wasn't even biting his tongue; he was just kind of smirking and laughing about it. I watched three all the three top flight yeah. games over the weekend, and I wouldn't have liked to referee any of them, in that it's very difficult. But also, one of the big things that we always give out about the RT pundits is that they think everything's perfect. Yes. And you couldn't watch those games over the weekend and not think that we need a couple of rule changes and tweaks that need to be followed through, <laughs> especially the black card. I'm sorry, but we need a black card. Oh my! And look at you, Mister Mister Hurling from from Hurling Stock, mm. crying for a black card to come in. Yeah, state well, your case. Well, they we keep hearing oh, there's no cynicism in hurling, but we're actually at the point where there are far more black card fouls in hurling than there are in football. We saw. And, and actually, I was about to say a classic of the genre, but a new version of, of a foul at the weekend where Rory Hayes got the wrong side of Jamie Coughlin in the Cork Clare game. Coughlin was heading for goals and Rory Hayes just swung at the back of his legs to kind of almost ankle tap him, if you could call. It was a perfect Peter Stringer yeah, ankle tap. Yeah. But if you call swinging on somebody's legs... With a stick. With a stick, <laughs> an ankle tap. It, like, you could argue it was striking and should have been a straight red card. And... Nothing, just a 20 metre free. And every corner back now can, does the, the mats in their head immediately. The guy has turned on me, I'll foul him. In fact, even if he's in the box and you're giving away a penalty, mm. you're, you're still better off giving away the penalty. Uh, and if, if he's on the 20 metre line, then definitely just drag him down. You won't even get booked. Yeah. And they'll get a point and that's fine and move on. 
Yeah, go wildly overrated sport. And, uh, you know, the sooner we all forget about it, the better. Uh, we will be talking, as I say, we with Sean uh, coming up in a little while. Uh, later, we're going to talk to Emmett Malone. It's Champions League time. Uh, Liverpool and Man City playing this week uh, in their respective ties. So we're going to have him on. And we will have Jerry Thornley in to look ahead to Saturday's, Sunday's rugby uh, against Italy. Um, but first, Sean Moran is on the line. And Sean, you were at Kilkenny and Limerick yesterday, weren't you? I was indeed. I was there with a with a with, with a large crowd of, uh, of people come to see the All Ireland Champions play the, the league holders from from last year. Nice afternoon. Started off that way anyway. Uh, we got a bit of rain later, but uh, yeah, it was a good occasion. It is hard to. Uh it is getting increasingly hard, I should say, to, to sort of gain say this uh, this Limerick team. They have um, they couldn't be much more impressive for this time of year. Yeah, which you know carries its own uh, dangers. Uh, you know, we've seen that in the past. Um, you know, back when Clare, with whom Limerick could be compared as a young team, when in a breakthrough All Ireland came out for the league in 2014, they too did very very well, got to the knockout stages, but it kind of fell apart after that. Even a couple of years ago, we were hailing how Tipperary had discovered the elixir of consistent year-on-year performances by their displays in the league in in uh, 2017, and yet you know had that ended in the in the, in the league final that year. I think teams uh, carry a certain amount of oxygen or fuel they take into the following uh, league season. But I agree with your basic point. I think that you know we're we're, we're looking at a, a Limerick team that has. So much like the athleticism, uh, skill, and physicality, and that they're hurling very comfortably within themselves. It'll be interesting to see how they they play out the, the rest of the year. Uh, but at, at the moment, you know, in fairness, I'm just bringing back players as well. I mean, he started 11-11-9 of the All Ireland team. There's been new players used in that, so I'd say he's very pleased with the the trajectory at the moment. Although, like all managers, and I suppose all the rest of us, we have to keep saying it's just February. Isn't that the thing, though, Sean, if, if I can play devil's advocate to you there for a moment, that uh, tip team, for example, in 2016 was quite settled. And even in the league when they started well, they didn't find new players to come through. Limerick are in an almost unique position at the moment. I mean, yesterday, as people were calling it a bit of a statement performance, but they were still missing Mike Casey, uh, Keane Lynch. They're missing Seamus Flanagan. Declan Hannan. Declan Hannan. They br- only brought on uh, Tom Morrissey and... Um, uh, not Kyle Hayes, uh, Hegarty. Gerard Hegarty. Gerard Hegarty as a sub. Like, Limerick seemed to be in that rare position of having a panel of 25 players who could legitimately put up their hands to be in the first 15. Yeah, they're a very, they're a very modern collective from that point of view in that the, they can mix and match from the, from the, pa- from the first panel. And uh, you can see it yesterday. You know, there were kind of good contributions from, say, a player like Conor Boyle and then the Piercig wing forward. Um, Paddy O'Loughlin uh, at, at wing back, uh, I thought was good uh, too. So you know there are a couple of players that wouldn't have had much exposure last year. Um, Shane Dowling, I mean Shane Dowling's been around for for a long time, but he started yesterday and, and, and put in a, you know a very uh, a very strong. 70-minute performance, and uh, yeah, I think yeah, John John Kelly must be pleased with the way things are at the moment. Um, tell, talk to me about Kilkenny a little, Sean. Um, this it, it strikes me that over the last few years, uh, 
at least uh, once or twice in every league, we hear that some team has ended a decade-long famine in Nolan Park. Um, this was Limerick's turn. Uh, that's that's quite a quite a hiding to take on their own patch. Yes, it was, and it was. Uh, I mean, looking at the, the the Kilkenny team, you know, it is under strength at the at the, at the moment. Um, but they were battling away effectively enough because there was a big wind there, and they were facing into that wind in the in the first half, and they would have it for the second half, and uh, it was it was seven points each. And they had kind of nudged ahead from you know most of the incremental scoring, and this looked this looked grand. Like there's only a few minutes left in the first half, and they've they've kind of tamed the wind over uh, over most of that, that that period. But then you know the roof falls in; they can see two, three, like in the closing minutes, and suddenly mm-hmm. you know people uh, the the, the grace. Uh, it's not the Beaufort scale, of course, in 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 in, in the GA. It's you know. Uh, that's a five-point win. Oh yeah, indeed, yeah. Point win, <laughs> and that was the sort of talk that was going around the place. But suddenly, you know, Limerick are nine points up at, at halftime, and Kilkenny just kind of perished after halftime, trying to trying to to get hold of, of the match, and, and and it was Limerick who pushed on. And funnily enough, like uh, Kyle Hayes was saying afterwards, uh, the Limerick player, you know, that normally it's Kilkenny try and do you in after half time like come out and set the match to rights but in this case it was actually Limerick I mean Limerick came out and reeled off the first four points so you know now you're, you're talking about a 13 point match and it's kind of game over although watching Kilkenny under Cody uh, there's an almost superstitious feeling that it's never over that you wouldn't know what they'd conjure up uh, and they, they, you know they've done it even in recent years beyond the, the seasons of their pomp but no there was there was no way back yesterday and uh, and Limerick if anything got a bit sloppy towards the end and made kind of mistakes and didn't take chances that they could have taken uh, so yeah it was a comprehensive defeat yeah because funny I, it's funny you mentioned like I, I remember being at a Kilkenny Clare game I think maybe this weekend last year and Clare absolutely demolished uh, Kilkenny I think it was even in Nolan Park and um, you know just you know whizzed them out the gate and um Kilkenny end up backing into the league final and sort of winning the whole thing out by almost by accident. Um, there is a lot of you know you you, you can say you know they're missing the Ballyhale as they're missing Richie Hogan all that sort of stuff. I'm still not entirely sure though that there there does seem to be a few structural things there that that they need to work out. Like uh, Limerick's second goal came from just a, a massive gap in the in the Kilkenny full back line. Yeah, yeah. I suppose to be fair to them, I mean, I, I, I think they've kind of put most of their chips on Hugh Lawler as, as the new uh, fullback. And he he was wasn't in the squad yesterday. yesterday. Was he? Was he? Was he hurt? Was that? Yeah, he was carrying an injury, so Conor Delaney played there. Although Park Walsh kind of dropped back a bit to try and keep some sort of tabs on on Aaron Galan, um, who was running rampant uh, uh, throughout the match. But then, of course, like Galan is kind of. It's given sharp at the moment from playing with Mary Eye, so he, he's in particularly uh, good form. But yeah, the, the, the defence is definitely something that's, that's having to be restructured. And like Paul Murphy's form is probably concerning them a, a bit. He was starting at wing back uh, yesterday, whereas of course he is, you know, potentially playing at his best. He's one of the best cornerbacks in in the game, but he's just been a bit of odds with his his own game of of late. So uh, it. it 
there is a lot of restructuring to do. I, I would agree with that. And, you know, it's not just a matter of getting TJ Reid back and Richie Hogan, um, because of course, with Richie Hogan's injury profile, you're mm. never sure what getting him back will mean in, in terms of the, of the championship. I'd say, you know, in the defence, Killian Buckley, um, although he's a, he, he seems to have a fairly uh, troublesome injury, but you know he's not there at, at the moment either. Obviously, he's a big loss at the at the back. So they're 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 very much scoping around, see, seeing what they have. But of course, the the big, I suppose the the ongoing narrative in Kilkenny is that the, this kind of uh, this Camelot that they had you know, in, in, in the decades or, or so past, like that has, that has passed on and they're now having to kind of completely rebuild with the, with the players that are at their disposal now and it's, tr- it's a tough process. Sean, you wouldn't have seen it uh, being at the game yesterday but Richie Hogan was actually interviewed by TG Cahir just briefly at half time in the match and he sort of made an amusingly narky comment where he uh, said that Limerick were playing with 11 defenders which I thought was a bit harsh given that they'd scored 2-10 and in at that by that point in the match it's all just to do with the the system that they play it's very hard to play against and Kilkenny found it hard to combat didn't they they did and with an inexperienced defense you know when the when when the the, the Limerick forwards all kind of flood back and their markers aren't sure whether you'll go with them or or stand their ground and it, it created a lot of space. Uh, I mean, even Brian Cody was saying that afterwards, acknowledging that that, that Aaron Galan got to operate in a lot of space because of that. Uh, and uh, and he, you know, he, he's in he's in excellent form at the moment. So that was uh, that was a problem. And uh, um, I mean, Cody has famously said he doesn't he doesn't do tactics. But I suppose the problem is that other teams do tactics. And uh, and of course, Kilkenny are of course behind it all as, as tactical as, as anyone else but they were caught out a, a bit yesterday I mean it, it's kind of that's interesting I didn't, I didn't hear that and I didn't see back the, the, the recording of the match yet but uh, the, the, the idea that you know this teams should go why won't they go out and hurl man on man with Kilkenny and, <laughs> and, and see what happens um, you know Limerick have their have, have, have their structure and they played to us yesterday and they did, did it impressively and you know Kilkenny I suspect whatever structure they had they were, they were probably going to win us I mean they're, they're, they're just a be- better team yesterday than, than Kilkenny uh, yeah, that 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 was that was true. They manipulated space quite easily. Sean, uh, lastly, um, I found with the game that, that I was at, like it, it sort of burst into life in the last sort of whatever twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, or whatever. But like for long, long stretches of it, you were kind of going, "This is real sort of challenge match stuff." Um, how how competitive was it down there, and how competitive are you finding this league as a as a whole? Well. I think. I mean, I heard yourself about talking about the, the the league before. I think individual managers and teams have always wanted specific things out, out of the league. Uh, the league has never been kind of uber competitive. I know there's a lot of complaining, you know, in the previous format, which is obviously the current format until it comes to an end. That the six team Division One A is too competitive, and you have to mm. send out your best teams every week. It's also very. It was also very open. Like there were four spaces. Like four of the six teams got to play in quarterfinals, and then the remaining two got to play a relegation playoff. So, you know, 
I don't know with this business about, oh, it's just too competitive. It grinds us to powder while we're trying to stay up in, in, in Division 1A. Because you, you look at Cork a couple of years ago, lost every single match they had in the regulation series and then simply went out and won the relegation playoff and, and, and sent down a Galway team that had, were four points ahead of them in the final mm. table. So I, I, I think that that, to an extent, can be over, overstated. Um, I think that there are other things that go on at the same time, like if it's given cup, like the, the, the club championship, which can kind of run interference with, with managers trying to put teams together in a very short time frame. But I, I, have, I haven't found a huge difference with it, to be honest, Maliki. I mean, I've, I've been looking at teams, you know, trying new players. I've been looking at teams, you know, going out to put together uh, performances. And it's a really unusual-looking table at the moment. You know, you've Limerick on mm. six, Wexford on four, and everyone else on, on two. So uh, it's, it's not... I don't, I, I don't think that the absence of, of relegation is making a huge difference to the way that uh, teams approach it. Obviously, it will in 1B, where one of those, probably those three counties are going to go down. But um, I, th- I think it's been, I think it's been, it's been kind of in- interesting. You know, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, you, you've seen kind of straws in the wind so far. But any February that we, we drop in on, on the leagues, football or hurling, you know, I always set the test when you're sitting down writing about the All-Ireland Championship in, in, in July or August, I mean, how how yellow-looking are the pages from yeah. the February <laughs> league reports going to look at that stage? So, Indeed. you know, you never expect too much out of it. I'm with the managers yesterday saying it's only February. <laughs> and yet, and yet, Sean, they still have us out working at these bloody things. They do. You know? They put yeah. us out in, yeah. in, in weather. You wouldn't put a dog out, in, I think, is the, is, is, is the phrase. Oh, and at least say, the dogs get fed. I'd have to, I'd have to put on the, uh, on the public record that, um, that Nolan Park in Kilkenny uh, really looks after the media very well. Um, and just, it's, it wouldn't be the case in every, every ground you're in where lads would bunches of keys come chasing you out after indeed. 20 minutes after the match is and over. And indeed, without, yes, without uh, making it too soapy, I got a tremendous welcome in Wexford yesterday where they are, they are the, the friendliest people on the island, the people of Wexford. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, so I, I, there's actually a, there's a laminated card with the Wi-Fi password on it in, in Nolan Park and it also <laughs> so says that um, there will be no time limit for media working afterwards in the, in, in the committee room. So uh, Okay, come on. Everybody's just listening to you and thinking, yeah, you get into these games for free. So what are you complaining about? Yeah, well... Ooh, that is true. Uh, do you know, Pat, I would... I would have brought anyone advocating that one too strongly on to Inishkeen the previous week. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was... The modern people there were very friendly, very very, very helpful, but it's a, it's a, it's a small... It's a bit of a squeeze. It's, uh, it's a bit they, of a squeeze. Kind of, There's no they, doubt. They, they put together the the press facilities and the table and the seats and everything, and that's and that and that's fine. It's an impressive venue, like so many of the places in Monaghan. But my God, it was so cold <laughs> last week, and it was it was a, a year's anniversary since I'd gone up to scheme unaware that uh, that the match had been snowed off, and I went from the the, the roundabout outside Dundalk to Inneskeen, it's about 10 miles or so, and you just entered a different ecosystem. The weather froze up and snowflakes began to fall. And by the time I got there, uh, the snow was thick on the ground. Uh, so it's, it's certainly probably one of the colder places I've, I've ever been to. But I'd say to anyone who says, look at you fellas, look at you getting in free to matches and sitting there in luxury watching them. That's when you're out in the open, and some days in, in, in February, it's not that easy. 
And yet, and yet here we are. We will keep at it. Sean, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you again soon. The Champions League knockout stages kicked into gear last week with a great result for Spurs and a not-so-great result for Man United. Emmett Malone is on the line to talk to us about the other games that are coming up this week. Emmett, thanks for joining us. Hi, Malky. How are you? We are well. We are well. We'll start uh, with Liverpool-Bayern, Emmett. Uh, we were saying in here beforehand, uh, uh, somebody asked, uh, uh, Virgil van Dijk is out for this game. And... Mm. Um, uh, our producer Declan went uh, hang on he's not injured is he and we said no 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 he's just suspended thus betraying Liverpool uh, fans I think their their attitude now they're uh, far more into winning the league than winning the Champions League what do you think? Yeah I'd say they'd enjoy either to be honest yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah for sure I, I, I look I think that the, the league is a kind of holy grail for them at this stage and it would um, I guess um, <laughs> it would put them above rivals uh, you know or ahead in rivalries that they that they hold more sacred so yeah I, I think the, 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 the league is the one that they uh, that they that they really want but you know look the Champions League I was over in Liverpool last week and talking to a lot of fans over there and they they talk very fondly about their European Cup and Champions League adventures so there's no doubt that this will be a huge thing for them whether they feel that they can balance both of them and get through to the end and you know be in contention for both right until the end I'm not so sure but uh, but they would they will certainly want to to win this game because this yeah this round is is the sort of tipping point for all of that I always find in the, in the Champions League because like you get through this and you're down to the last eight and at that point you know it doesn't really matter whether whether you're whether you're priori- prioritizing it or not you you're sort of in it and you may as well you know knuckle down and go for it um well, but it's getting I- through this tie yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, it's it's an odd thing about the Champions League because when you know when it came in first, everyone you know t- talked about it as kind of being this kind of competition between the elite teams, and then we within not very long at all, we realised that the group stages were very lopsided, and the talk was always that it, you you needed to get to the to the knockout stages before it got uh, competitive. But if you look at the four games this week, yeah, two of them that are that are still you know you would imagine are virtually foregone conclusions. Um, you know, like Barcelona should beat. Uh, Leon fairly comfortably and uh, Man City should beat Schalke uh, without too much bother um, and you've got two then that are that are far more interesting so Liverpool are, are sort of un- unfortunate in a way to uh, to come up against the Byron team that uh, for a start were always going to present a challenge but um, but are going pretty well at the moment after a slow start to the season and um, and so maybe they've been a little bit unlucky to, to for the for the really really business end of the Champions League to, to start a little bit earlier than it had to for them so um, I don't know it, 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 it's an interesting situation you, you look back at, at last week Spurs beating Dortmund the, the Bundesliga leaders so easily um, and you think maybe that, that that kind of shift towards England from Germany um, has, has, has accelerated over the last couple of years but Byron you know have a great record against Premier League teams over the last few years so uh, so they, they, they won't fear Liverpool so it's, it, it, it's certainly an interesting tie it's a really interesting tie but, um, but, but it's one that requires every bit of Liverpool's focus and um, uh, and, and that yeah, it's bound to have some sort of effect on their, their Premier League campaign. The Bayern Munich squad is going the right direction as opposed to Liverpool going the wrong direction. Bayern have recently got Manuel Neuer back from injury. They have Hamas yeah. Rodriguez back kind of in the team and in form. Uh, as we said, Liverpool are missing Van Dijk. They would have hoped to replace him with Lovren, but Klopp was already making noises that 
he probably won't risk Lovren. So, well, I think Lovren, Lovren has a hamstring problem and has been out in Croatia getting treatment for that. So I, I think the sense is that Lovren won't make it. So they're looking at, you know, possibly a central defensive partnership of uh, Fabinho and Joel, uh, Joel Matip. So it's a, it's a bit, uh, it's slightly cobbled together. Um, Cobbled it's together not, isn't good at this point of the season, though, is it's, it? It's not great. No, it's really it's not ideal. Um, uh, so that's that's you know that's a that's a difficulty for them. Uh, Joe Gomez is still out. Van Dijk is suspended, as you say. Uh, Byron aren't without their own issues. Um, Kingsley Coleman is a is a doubt for the game, and he's been scoring goals lately for Byron, so he he's an issue. Um, and Frank Ribery uh, has has his wife is just her partner has just had a baby, so I mean he hasn't travelled with the official party. There's a suggestion that he'll travel later, and that if Coleman does miss the game, he will come into the squad. But he hasn't been in, in, named in the initial squad for the game. So look, both of them both of them have, have, have slight issues. I, I think both of them are close enough to full. That um, that they that they will feel that they uh, that they're really you know they're they're not hugely disadvantaged but but of the two of them yeah you would say that that Liverpool are are, are the, the more weakened. You touched on it there at the start, Emmett. Like when when the draw came out, Bayern looked like a, a, a pretty good draw for Liverpool. Um, but they've sort of they've they've got it together over the intervening months, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, they have. Um, they they uh, you know they've made a very slow start. I, I don't know about like by the time the draw was. Uh, was made they um they had uh you know they, they were going quite well um but they've they've come through the champions league so far quite well they've uh, they've played well in it um i mean obviously um obviously the group stages really rarely tests uh, you know clubs of that stature at the moment but they come into this game in fairly decent form they've been closing the gap on uh, dortmund who uh who dropped points at the weekend um, they're in pretty good shape they're confident uh, you know, Lewandowski is 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 scoring a lot of goals. He's ten in thirteen games, I think, at the moment. Um, and um, although they the, they still have a little bit of kind of ground to make up in the league, it's certainly you know their Dortmund you know remain in 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 the driving seat. Um, they're in good form. They'll be very confident. Um, they they are a lot of key players playing well for them at the moment. Um, they're also it should be said. Sorry, I should have mentioned in terms of team news. They, they I think they're going to be the, virtually certainly without Jerome Botang, who has some sort of stomach uh, problem. So, uh, but they're but look, they're in good shape. I think they will come here confident. They have a very good record in recent years against English teams. The last time they lost was the Champions League final and penalties to Chelsea. Otherwise than that, they've like you know coursed. Arsenal in the intervening years, they've beaten City, United, I think. Um, so, you know, they, they they will not, you know, despite the fact that this is a much, much better Liverpool team than, than you know, well, I mean, it, it's a long, long time. It's remarkable, actually, how uh, how rarely these two teams have played, considering how, how kind of, you know, uh, the, the number of years they've spent at the top of their respective leagues um, or the, at the top of their respective games. But um, but look, you know, they, they I, I just don't think this Bayern team will, will fear Liverpool. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll look at them, they'll, they'll see what a good side they are they'll see you know the capacity that they have to score so many goals particularly on the break um but you know Bayern are an accomplished side and it's going to be a really really interesting tie it's a pretty sexy tie in fairness the um rt ads for it have kendrick lamar rapping about royalty in my dna <laughs> over the over the traders for it which is actually quite good Aryan robin was talking during the week or over the weekend emmet about how anfield is his least favorite stadium yeah that that kind of and it's an old cliche of the twelfth man kind of nonsense that people come out with, but it does actually seem to have an effect at Anfield, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I don't know. What, I mean, look, I have to say, of the grounds I've been in England, Anfield stands out. Um, uh, like, I've been around most of them, uh, you know, and I've been in Anfield for a couple of big European nights. Uh, it's quite a while ago now, you know, but um, but uh, it is a remarkable place to go. It is. Uh, it, it certainly um, it certainly has a different feel to it. Uh, and in the build-up to, uh, in the right immediately before um, uh, kickoff, I think the, the atmosphere there is is really special. Um, so yeah, look, I. I, I, you know, if if those things count for anything um, with players, uh, I'm never entirely sure that they are that they do. And you know, how, how like whether you could say a, a player like Iron Robin would be intimidated. I don't think he's involved tomorrow night anyway. But uh, um, uh, but you know, look, uh, whether a player of that stature would be intimidated by that, you know, they tend to say in pre-match interviews that they're kind of that they thrive on it, that they're inspired by it, or whatever. Uh, but it, it is certainly a, it is certainly a particular place to go. Um, the city Man City Schalke fixture on, on Wednesday night uh, has a, an altogether different look to it. Like yeah. If um, if Spurs were able to to rinse uh, Borussia Dortmund last week, then um, the could the comparison here that City ought to be able to do something similar to, to Schalke, you would imagine. Yeah, look, I mean, this should be fairly straightforward for them. Schalke had a kind of disastrous start to the season. They mm. lost their first five games, only scored a couple of goals, uh, were kind of on the back foot from then. And they've steadied the ship to some extent from then, but they haven't really produced even, you know, since anything like the form that, that they would have hoped for pre-season. Um, you know, they, they have problems on all sorts of fronts, but, you know, like their top scorers, Nabil Bentaleb, who's scored three goals in 21 league appearances, and he's done slightly better proportionally in the Champions League. But they, they just, you know, they have not uh, done particularly well. They came through the group stages again. This is kind of... Um, this is kind of, you know, tribute to how unchallenging the um, the, the group stages of Champions League can be now for a, for a, a half decent team. They're the 14th in the Bundesliga, but they still come through the group stages fairly handily. So, um, look, I, I, you know, but they 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 are. Uh, a really struggling side at the moment. They have uh, they've lost kind of players over the last couple of years and not replaced them with with the sort of quality they would have hoped for. They have a new manager in there, uh, you know, a relatively new manager, and just things have, have have kind of come off the rails for them, you know. So this should be a fairly straightforward thing for City. The other thing, Bishak, is like they they tend to go out of the competition around this sort of sort yeah. of time, uh, you know, even when they have better sides. City have kind of generally done that, but the the you know the momentum is behind them. They've been improving. They you know. So they've they've um, they've made it through a couple of times, and and you would feel that this year they absolutely feel that they're they're contenders. So um, look, you know, Schalke drew nil all at the weekend. Um, their their priority, I think, will be staying out of trouble in the Bundesliga. Um, I think this would be an astonishing um, turnaround if uh, if if City were to even to be terribly seriously troubled in it. In general, Emmett, what do you make of City at the minute? This. They seem to have have survived that sort of wobble, that that kind of post Christmas wobble, and uh, it's just interesting to see how the rest of the season will work out for them. Yeah, well, look, I, I, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the demolition of Chelsea will have given a, an awful lot of confidence. I mean, they did have that wobble. They were kind of, you know, they were missing a couple of players. A couple of players weren't playing so well. And suddenly, they, suddenly, you know, against Chelsea, everything looked really, really outstanding. They then they, they, they go at the weekend and they, they're able to change so many players to, to play against Newport. They win the match handily enough. I mean, a, you know, a, a much lesser team works its backside off to stay in the game for as long as they can and then just runs out of steam. So, look, it's it, it you couldn't really, from a City point of view, ask for for a better build-up uh, to this match and than City have had. They have a lot of players. Aguero's in really cracking form now. De Bruyne has come back in after being on the margins for the early part of the season part 
party through injury. They have a lot to... Um, they have a lot going for them right now. Um, Fernandinho has been in outstanding form. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they're, they're very well placed. Um, I think uh, Pep Guardiola will be extremely happy with this draw. They, they should progress without really seriously troubling themselves. And that gives them, a, a, you know, a, another two or three weeks of, of, of being really able to kind of focus on the Premier League as, as, as their kind of uh, key priority. And, and before he really has to start worrying about team selections, you know, being, being more balanced or, or who he has to play in what games. Uh, this, is, this is a good situation for City right now. Um, Liverpool, on the other hand, are going to be more tested. And, and, and you know, I think I, right now, if you're Guardioli, you'd be pretty happy with the situation you're in. It's yeah, it's an interesting uh, just kind of subplot to I guess what we see as as almost the main plot, like the Premier League at the at the minute. Um, and this this will be going on in the background uh, for the next few weeks. Listen, Emma, thanks a million for for talking to us about that, and we'll chat to you again. All right, cheers, man. You're listening to the Irish Times. We'll finish off with rugby, Pat. And oddly, uh, here we are in the middle of the Six Nations, in the middle of the lull, the little, the little break period. Jerry Thornley is in with us. And Jerry, I was kind of thinking at the start of the tournament, we'd be going into the week of the Italy game, kind of going, all right, so this is just, you know, it's just, it's, it's the most nothing game of the Six Nations. Mm-hmm. Except we find ourselves, oddly, whether it's the fact that we feel Ireland are in a bit of a slump. The first two games haven't gone exactly how we wanted. This game is now suddenly very interesting. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. First off, I wouldn't say two games constitute a slump. This is what I'm asking. Um, people out there might think that I wouldn't go along with that view. I still maintain that um, the win in Scotland was an excellent win. Really excellent win. That's their first Scots, first home defeat in three years in the Six Nations. They're a good side. I think there's a lack of respect and appreciation of what a good side Scotland have become. And for Ireland not to play particularly well and come away with the win um, was, a, was a good day at the office. And they badly needed that. Because if they'd lost two in a row, then we would be talking about a slump. Sure. The thing about a team that goes on a long unbeaten run is when they then that comes to an end, they very often then suffer a sequence of defeats. Or you get England virtually unbeaten for two years, then go five defeats in a row. If you may, I don't know whether you remember that great AC Milan side that went 50-odd games yeah, unbeaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After that, their first defeat against Parma, I think it was in 93, they then stumbled over them and they won one of their last nine matches. Mm-hmm. It's just very, it's a mental adjustment for a team that's gone on a long unbeaten run to then suddenly cope with defeat because they're just not used to it. And it can, can unhinge them and I thought it did unhinge Ireland a little, quite a bit. And for them then to come back and win in Scotland was a good, a good achievement. Gets them back in the winning habit. And in the World Cup year, I'd argue that members Lawrence Lallio saying it before and before the tournament started, you wouldn't want to be losing more than two games in a calendar year going into the World Cup. And he speaks from experience with their O three team. And um this is all tempers the selection process and the thinking now That's for Joe saying. Schmidt going into this game because it changes the tenor of it. You see, Wales very specifically, Warren Gatland used the opening two games as a trial run, as a mini World Cup prep. They even went on to was it Nice, I think, for a week or not for a week. They stayed in France for a week and then went on to Rome for the second game. He made ten changes, used a full squad. They lacked a bit of cohesion, but they got their two wins and he's used thirty odd players. Um this game falls slightly differently for Ireland because it falls in, you know, after a fa- an idle weekend and before another idle weekend. So if you rest a lot of frontliners, they won't have played for a month before the French game. Um, also, there's a need to get the winning run going again. They have to win this game, obviously. 
and ideally win their last two games. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in locks, locked and fairly loaded against the Italians, more so than Wales did. Um, even though there is now an argument, by his own admission, that you could use this more as a World Cup prep now, the Six Nations, given the likelihood of Ireland retaining the title is very slim. That's the thing. So there's, there's seven tests left before we play a World Cup uh-huh. game. So the, the time <clears> is getting slight. So that's the balance that he's to strike yep. going between getting the winning run back and figuring out his team. On that, Rob Kearney um, will likely play fullback at the weekend, but a lot of people would have seen this as a chance for us to figure out, the game against Italy, I mean, a chance for us to figure out who is our number two fullback. Do we know? No, we don't seem to. You would have thought after the autumn test that Jordan Larmer was the number two, de facto number two fullback as he started against Argentina when Rob Kearney wasn't fit. Um, But then very interestingly, Joe Schmidt went to look at Robbie Henshaw in the opening game against England. And from what I hear, um, Joe Schmidt and the coaching staff are very keen to look at Henshaw again there, that this is a long-term investment, that they wouldn't mind going to the World Cup with Robbie Henshaw as a very viable alternative as to Rob Carney at fullback. Um, those plans were slightly scuppered by the injury he sustained and then Gary Ringrose and then the curse of number 13 jersey even afflicted Chris Farrell at the weekend. So even if Henshaw comes back in, um, it might well be at 13, which is where he would have played in the second test, which means we're still no nearer to finding out who Rob Carney's um, understudy or rival for the 15 jersey is. Might he give Jordan Larmer a game against Italy as he did against the Italians in Chicago when he scored his hat-trick? What about Will Addison? Is he worth a look? My, my guess is that he might end up going with Rob Carney again. I would like to see somebody else because I think over the last two or three years, Every single big game Ireland have played. Rob Carney has been the fullback. He was an ever present through the Grand Slam. He was, um, he's just been an ever present, and he's like a, he's like a, a Roger Federer or an, a, a, a kind of a, a, a golfer who's won all the titles he wants to win and just concentrating on the majors. He's a big game player, and that's what he's there for now. I mean. He was to compare Rob Carney's performance at home against Scarlets in the Pro 14 with Rob Carney's performance in Murrayfield was chalk and cheese, and. Uh, <clears throat> It was very reassuring to have him back. So I think he's just going to go with Rob Carney again and, and a lot of the, the front-line players. Maybe, maybe the French game, penultimate game at home to France, might offer some scope. But he's going to have to look at a few things. Um, you would, it, would be, it would be surprising if come the end of the Six Nations, Rob Carney will have started four games in a row at full-back and were none the wiser as to two his alternative this, is. Yeah, because this would be the weird situation because yeah. you kind of look at it and you go, well... Can we afford to to keep experimenting? But then you kind of go, can we afford not to keep experimenting? Exactly. You know, because the these things, the one thing you don't want is to find out too late. Yep. That you didn't. Yep. Yep. You didn't see your way around this corner. Yep. Um, and the thing is, though, that if Chris Farrell is ruled out and Robbie Henshaw comes back in, presumably Gary Ringwell is still ruled out, then you're going to probably have to go with Bundy Aki and Robbie Henshaw in midfield. So then the the experiment of looking at Henshaw at full back. Um, it's not possible. And maybe, maybe against France, he goes back to looking at Henshaw at fullback. Then I don't know. I would like to see somebody else play fullback before the Six Nations is over. And that's no disrespect against Rob Carney, who's Ireland's absolute number one fullback, and rightly so. But given the title is beyond reach, it is there is scope here, particularly, particularly in the in the environment of Six Nations, which is real competitive international Test rugby. It's not like a war. World Cup warm-up match in August one of which is probably after the squad is finalised anyway mm-hmm. so you're really you're running out of time then and when you compare and contrast this with how meticulously um, Joe Schmidt and David Nusifor and the coaches have learned from the World Cup four years ago 
when um, Ian Madigan did not have sufficient time at 10 in a Leinster or Irish jersey and was suddenly pitched into a World Cup quarterfinal against Argentina. And the decision by Joey Carby with a little bit of encouragement, I'm sure, from Nusifor and Schmidt to relocate and him deciding he was going to go to Munster has been totally vindicated. And we saw that in Murrayfield, that he was, he'd had 11 games under his belt at 10. He played in Interpro derbies, played in European Cup matches. He developed an understanding with Conor Murray and he was able to settle into that role at, at 10 as a replacement for Sexton in a way that he probably wouldn't have been able to do had he not made the move. So now Ireland's um, depth at 10 is so much better for that move than, and for what those decisions that were made. Yet by the same token, it doesn't apply at fullback. Does Joey start against Italy? I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start. Mm. I just have a feeling that he's going to go Sexton and Murray again. Is, that, is, because that, Sexton da- is Murray that down to what you're saying about you don't want to leave them a month without yes. saying? Yes. And I think also, when you think about it, Conor Murray um, and Johnny Sexton hadn't played together uh, in the Six Nations since the Australian Tour in June. And Conor Murray is gradually getting back to his best form. And even Johnny's had a ropey start to the year with injuries and so forth, not getting that many game, games under his belt. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes um, Murray and Sexton again. I would like to see Carby again for the same reason, have one start in this Six Nations. Um, but a, a, maybe maybe it'll be the French game. But as things stand, I think he'll go Murray and Sexton again, personally. Given the amount, though, that Sexton is clearly being targeted by opposition teams, the chances of him being knocked out of a game either in the Six Nations or in the World Cup seem to be high because it does happen. We've seen it happen a lot over the last two years, say. Surely that this is the right time to have Carberry play and start a Six Nations game. Well, kind of in Joe, I trust, you know. If, mm. he, if he sees a reason for starting Murray and Sexton, there's a reason for doing that. He wants to see them start another game together. He wants them to um, just fine-tune that partnership a little bit more. Um, it's, it it wasn't, hasn't been at his best so far. And I can understand why he would want to do that. And he could always say that Joey Carberry got over an hour now against Murrayfield anyway. Right, and yeah. he's also getting plenty of game time at 10. I would have thought Joey Carberry's a much more established alternative stroke backup to Johnny than there is out there in the squad at the moment um, at fullback for Rob Carney. So I would have thought there was a greater need to have a look at another fullback than there is right now in this game to have another look at Carberry. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, if he goes Sexton and Murray again. Ireland could do with a win, a bonus point win, and really want to win the next three matches to end the Six Nations, maybe in second place or having a shot at the title in the last day, but certainly to get the winning run going again. Because we remember how, what a big blow that was, that England defeat, how it seemed to psychologically damage the, whole, the entire rugby playing country or rugby yeah. some watching country as it, it did the squad. It took the air out of it. Completely, completely and utterly. Yeah. 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 And uh, it might not be any bad thing in the mm-hmm. long run. Yeah, yeah. Um, it might not be a bad thing when I think back to the build up to that England game and former internationals picking composite sides with only one or two English players in it the Paddy Power we can, we can ads say, we can say it Drico it, it, it was Brian O'Driscoll and, and, yeah, 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 and yeah. Eddie O'Sullivan I mean, I mean how many English players would you pick now and this I was, know. A, this was, a, this <laughs> exactly. was a, a test tight five all t- tight five forwards were test players yeah. um, we're very flighty aren't we, we yeah, yeah, well, flighty Mike no, as a race. doesn't suit us does it no. to be that cocky no. um and uh, might be no arm. I mean, imagine if Ireland had gone to work up with back-to-back Grand Slams and number mm. one ranking in the world. I know, I know some people out there think we're prime 
for a South African mugging in the quarterfinals. That might even one way made, or the other. Yeah, that might have that made us might even made us more primed. So I think it's very important that they get four wins in a row here if they possibly can, and certainly minimum three. You wouldn't want to be going to uh, Cardiff facing the possibility of a third defeat in five games. What have we made of Italy so far? Hmm. The Italians, curious case because really, when you think about it, for a team that's uh, forgotten how to win, they never know when they're beaten, mm. which sounds like a contradiction. But it, they're facing into their 18 Six Nations defeat in a row in the last 10 minutes against Scotland. They're 33 3 down. Most any team in that position would be entitled just go to the nearest exit and get the flight home, uh, certainly check out. And they come back with three tries. Against Wales, um, they were. 9-0 uh, down and survived a 17-phase battering on their own line to only concede a penalty. They then get a penalty themselves, they go to corner and they score a try and they go in half-time 7-12 down when it looked like the game could be over. Even then, um, they come back in the last 10 minutes and score another fine try again. They're, they'll have a go from anywhere. They're very, they remain an extraordinarily positive team mentally for a team that has got very little to be positive about. And they've now lost 19 Six Nations games in a row. So... So they will keep coming at you and they'll come at you from various different places on the pitch. They're, miss, they're missing um, Matteo Menozzi at full-back huge. They just don't have that cutting edge. Um, but Tommaso Allen is playing some great rugby at 10. Um, Bram Stain is playing some great rugby in the back row. I mean, it'll be a good good enough test. You know what I mean? They haven't been, haven't been beaten out the gate. They weren't beaten out the gate at all by the Welsh. I mean, the Welsh didn't even get a bonus point there. So they'll be... But Ireland have an extraordinary record against them. I think in the last four matches, they've posted over 50 points in all of them. Conor O'Shea, of all the teams in the world, ironically, he must be sick the sight of. Yeah. It's Ireland. And even to rub Conor O'Shea and Italy's noses in it, the two times Ireland have beaten the All Blacks. A week later, who the All Blacks get to take it out on? Italy. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're um, looking forward to the Italy game because of kind of the imponderables that we were talking about there. But the game of the weekend is definitely Wales-England yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. 4.45 what should we be looking out for there what would we like to see in that game from a biased Irish point of view Welsh win yeah <laughs> keeps the title open um, one of the uh, more annoying aspects coming out of that England game was you couldn't help but feel that um, Ireland have helped give England a huge leg up towards mm-hmm. the Grand Slam and in fact if John Cooney hadn't scored that last minute try England would have replaced Ireland at number two in the world rankings because they would have won by more than 15 points and because the system the world ranking system they actually would have overtaken Ireland at number two so we should be grateful for John Cooney for scoring that late try and Sean Cronin for that break yeah we'd want a Welsh win would be ideal I think just to keep the title door ajar and keep us all interested because the way with the points, bonus point scoring system the way England have won with two bonus points if they were to win in Cardiff, it would make for a very anticlimactic run into the title because they've got Scotland and Italy at home in their last two games. Italy have never won in Twickenham and most probably never will in our lifetimes. And Scotland have virtually not won in a lifetime. The last time they won there, I think off the top of my head, was 1983. Right. So you wouldn't you wouldn't really fancy... You'd have to say that if England win this game, it's done and dusted to all intents and purposes. Um, and you'd also like to see a few chinks in their armour because they've looked very imposing. You would imagine that Wales would be an awful lot more smarter than England um, in terms of they won't certainly have a back three featuring um, a lazy winger at full back and two centres on the wing, none of whom were remotely interested in covering the backfield area at all. But England have been extraordinary the way they've reinvented the kicking game almost in the Six Nations. They've scored six of their ten tries directly from kicks 
and a seventh effectively from a kick through the middle to an underguard backfield against um, the French and one recycle later they scored and the thing about those seven tries from kicks is the kicks have been um, enacted by six different players they're moving the point of attack and by having an array of kickers in their back in their in their back line not just Farrell and Youngs at half back but Henry Slade with a really good left foot Johnny May with a good left foot Elliot Daly with a good left foot that when they move the ball across the line, they draw you up and that creates more space in the backfield and um, they're exploiting it very well. I wouldn't imagine Wales would be as prone to that. The in-goal area is not as big in the Principality Stadium. Um, but Wales would be hugely up for it, so will the crowd. The thing about Wales, though, is that they've developed no cohesion on the back of trying to prepare for a World Cup and using the Six Nations for a World Cup. So they're gonna, it's going to be a one-off performance for them, whereas England have a much more cohesive way, more settled team, um, more sure of what they're doing and probably therefore our favourites to beat Wales, even though it's in Cardiff. I think England have won the last five Six Nations meetings, including the last two visits to Cardiff. So Cardiff won't hold too many fears for them. Which well, would be a belter of a game. Yeah. Belter of a game. It is the standout fixture. Yeah. And, and yeah, we, we want Wales to win it. Exactly as you said. Keep, yeah. the, keep the interest toward, towards the end of the yeah. tournament. Yeah. At least. Jerry, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, we will Hello. chat to you again. Uh, thank you to... Emmett, who we had in on the line earlier, and to Sean for talking about the hurling, and thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Mark. Cheers, Declan, behind the glass, and we will see everyone next week. Take it easy.